If there was anyone that had a reason to be anxious, certainly it could have been the great Apostle Paul. His beloved friends at Philippi were disagreeing with one another. There were preachers in Rome that were filled with envy and strife and out to get Paul. And to top it all off, the Apostle Paul himself was under house arrest awaiting trial and possibly even his own execution. And yet we've seen that throughout this epistle, there's a key note that's repeated again and again, and that is, Paul says, rejoice. The question is, how can one rejoice in the face of adversity? Evidently, the Apostle Paul had found the secret of overcoming anxiety, and fortunately for us, he did share that secret. And we'll notice that in just a minute. But first, let's take a closer look at the idea of anxiety itself. The word as found in the King James Version is careful. The word means anxious, and it comes from a Greek word that Mr. Thayer defines as to be pulled in different directions. For example, when your hopes and your faith pull you in one direction and your fears pull you in the opposite direction, you have anxiety. Let me just say this, though. I'm not saying that we should never have or we will never have in our life uh, live our life without fear. In fact, when the Bible would talk about being of good courage and, and having courage in our life, remembering this, that there is no such thing as courage where there is no fear. So the problem isn't fear. The problem is, is so many times it is wrestling alongside of our faith. Our faith and our hope is pulling us in one direction, and at the very same time, our shortcomings and our fears are pulling us in the opposite direction. Therefore, to be anxious is literally to be pulled apart. You know, very sadly, sometimes we all let our fears win the battle. The word worry is a synonym for anxiety, and in its English origins, it presents a different yet enlightening picture. It comes from a word which means to strangle. And if you've ever worried about something, you know exactly what I'm talking about because worry will cause you to feel as though you are suffocating or even strangling inside. In fact, worry or anxiety has definite physical side effects. For example, headaches, I know all about those. Neck pains, those too. Ulcers, I've had one. Can you believe that? 43 years old, I've had all that. I'm not standing before you saying I have always had this figured out. I'm saying what the Word of God says on the subject. You know, even back pains, they say, come from worry or being anxious. Worry affects our thinking. Worry affects our digestion, even our coordination, or so I'm told. You know what else happens? What happens is when we are worried about something and when we are fretting about something, when we are literally being pulled in two opposite directions and our fears are winning the battle, oftentimes what happens is, is the cortisol levels in our system are elevated. Now cortisol basically is what you need and I need to get us out of a very sticky situation. For example, it is called the fight or flight scenario. It's when you get the burst of adrenaline to find your way out of a, if you're in an alley somewhere and a big mean dog is chasing you and somehow, some way you can leap build tall buildings with a single bound. That's because of adrenaline. That's what happens when cortisol is elevated in your system and you need that. 
Somebody asked me, because Doug Hawkins had made a comment about how uh, I have a rodeo background. Let me tell you a little story about cortisol and rodeo. One time I was at Cal Poly. I went there on a rodeo scholarship. And uh, I remember one day there was a bull that nobody wanted to get on. And so I thought, well, you know, I thought I was pretty much invincible. I thought I could ride whatever they ran in there. I was 19 years old. You know how that is. So they ran this bull in, and this bull was really not a very good bucking bull. He was just hard to ride, and he was really mean. And everybody that got bucked off would be thrown right down in front of his head. He knew how to do that, just whip you down and just mow you over. Well, I got on him thinking that I'm invincible and I could ride this bull, and I got on him, and you know what? In two jumps, I'm laying right in the middle of the ground, right there in front of his head. And I looked up right here, and he's got these horns about this big, and he's right on top of me. And I'm going to tell you something. I move faster than any man had ever moved in all of life. There's no one that ever ran as fast as I ran right then. Did most of it on my knees, getting out of the way. That's cortisol. That's adrenaline. You need that, and so do I. But you know what happens when you worry? What happens is those levels stay elevated in your system and it causes all manner of physical side effects. Oftentimes even they say weight gain. In fact, you know, there are supplements today. You can turn on the TV and you can find that there are supplements that people are selling to lower the cortisol levels in your system because they know that cortisol is directly connected to weight gain or weight loss. You know, I love my mother-in-law. I really do. I love my mother-in-law very much. I'm saying all of that to preface what I'm about to say. But my mother-in-law is a creative worrier. My mother-in-law worries about everything. My mother-in-law, and I love her to death, she would just sit back and, and worry about something. When everything's going well, everything's going fine. And she will find something to worry about. Have you ever known somebody like that? A creative worrier worried all the time that's what happens when you allow stress in your life additional thoughts of anxiety from a spiritual perspective though anxiety is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances people and things anxiety from a spiritual perspective is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances people and things it truly is the greatest thief of our joy but you know we understand that we know that there are songs written about that in fact have you ever heard a more annoying song than don't worry be happy that's an annoying song it's a great concept though isn't it wouldn't it be great if we just didn't worry be happy what about books that have been written don't, wet, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Great concept, isn't it? Oh, we all want that. That's not the problem. The problem isn't recognizing that we need to keep our worries in check. The problem is, what do we do with them? A after all, I'm doing the best I can. I'm just worried. I don't want to worry. I don't want to have one burden at all. But it's there. We know all that. But it's not enough for us to tell ourselves, stop being anxious in an effort to stop the thief from stealing our joy. It's kind of like this. Has somebody ever come up to you that really meant well? 
some wonderful person in our life, somebody that we really love, and, and they look at us and they realize that, you are, that we are hurting, that we're worrying about something, and what they say is, what you have to do is, you just have to stop worrying about it. And you just want to say thanks. Yeah, that helps a lot. That's great. How do you do that? That's not enough. Just to say, stop doing it. Anxiety is an inside job. It takes more than good intentions to get the victory over anxiety. And Paul said that the antidote to anxiety is revealed in our scriptures, in our text that we'll look at more closely. Winning the victory over anxiety, the antidote, Paul said, is the right kind of praying. Now, remember what he said. He said, be careful or anxious about nothing. That is an absolute. He didn't say don't be anxious about some things. He says be careful or anxious about nothing. And then he said another absolute. He's basically saying but pray about everything. Pray about everything. Sometimes we use prayer though as an afterthought. Some, uh, like for example, when all else fails, we go and sometimes we exhaust all of our own human wisdom. We exhaust all of our knowledge. We go to our peers and we ask them their advice. And we seek after what they have to say. And we exhaust their knowledge and their wisdom too. And then perhaps we might go to somebody that really has a whole lot of wisdom. And we might ask them what to do. And then as an afterthought, well, I'll just pray. But we need to pray first. Pray, Paul said, about everything. You know, in football, there's a term that's called a, it's, it's, it's using a Catholic prayer term for a particular kind of an offensive play. And it's called a Hail Mary pass. The reason they call it that way or call it that is because that's something that's done at the end of the game when there's nothing else that has ever worked, nothing is going to work, and you are the most desperate that you can possibly be, so you just rear back and throw it as far as you can, and they call it a Hail Mary pass play. That's not prayer. Prayer isn't something that we just do desperately and throw it God's way. Prayer is something that's real. Prayer time is a time that we can speak to the great God of heaven and he hears us and he listens to our prayers and he answers us. We must pray first. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. We are prone to pray about big things, but forget to pray about the little things. But as someone said one time so rightly, little things left unattended grow up and become big things. Therefore, God would have us talk to him about everything. And notice what he says. He says, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, just a little bit ago, our brother worded a prayer. Sometimes we call that the main prayer. We had another brother this evening that worded an, uh, a, a beginning prayer, beginning our service, an opening prayer. And when we talk about prayer in a general sense, we're talking about a time or any time that we speak to God. But this word prayer that Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 4 means more than just talking to God. This word prayer means some more things. It means this. 
It means adoration. It means devotion. It means praise. And it means worship. Now think about that. If you're having anxiety and stress and troubles and problems and you're literally being pulled apart, Paul said this is what you have to do. You have to pray correctly. And the very first thing that you need to do is you need to come to God in adoration. Come to God in devotion, in praise, and in worship. Whenever we find ourselves with anxiety, our first action needs to be to spend time alone with God in prayerful adoration. Now, God is worthy of every bit of praise that we could possibly offer Him. Now, picture it like this. When we pray to God, and we praise Him from whom all blessings flow, and we give Him all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for all that He is, He is worthy of every bit of that. When we give God the thanks and the praise and we exalt God above all that we know in this world and we give Him the praise as being the great architect of this universe, it's because God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of us giving prayerful adoration to Him. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of us honoring Him in every way. You see what Paul's saying? Paul says the reason that you, number one, basically, have to pray to God like this is because he's worthy. But there's a secondary benefit, too. If you go to God in prayer because you have a problem, because you have stress, because you have anxieties, because you are, you are torn up inside, and you come to God, what are you doing? Well, when you bow the knee before the great God of heaven, you're doing so because you have a problem that seems greater than you are. Have you ever felt that? I think if we're all honest, we can, we can pretty much say that there's an example or a time in our life when we had a problem that seemed greater than we are. We realize we can do nothing about it. It is greater than us. It is all-consuming. What's Paul saying? Start praising God in prayer. Elevate God where God should be. Give Him praise. Give Him glory. Give Him honor. Why? First thing, He's worthy of it all. Number two, there's a secondary benefit. Your problem was once this big. You've just spent time in prayerful adoration to God. You're exalting God above everything. And all of a sudden, this is a secondary benefit now. In your mind, God is greater than the problem that you had. Now, God's worthy of our praise. That's first and foremost. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our honor. He's worthy of everything that we could send Him, uh, send His way by way of honor and praise. But the secondary benefit is we're getting our mind altered. We are changing our thinking. All of a sudden, a problem that was greater than we are is not as great as the one that we're praying to, and that's God. God is greater than every problem we will ever have. He is able to solve problems that we are not. Far too often, though, we rush into His presence and hastily tell Him our needs. But freedom from anxiety, Paul says, comes when we spend more time on who He is rather than on what our problems are. Now, I'll tell you something. I think we've all done this. Have you ever prayed a desperate prayer? 
Have you ever really been desperate? And you just begin speaking to God and you just begin asking God to help in that situation or help you through whatever it is and you pray desperately? I'm going to tell you something. If you look in the scriptures, I don't know of a more desperate man than Jonah. Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh and be about the God's bidding and preaching to those people. He didn't do it. And the Bible says that a great, uh, a great tempest arose. And when he was thrown overboard, God prepared a great fish that swallowed him whole. And I'll tell you something. In the second chapter of the book of Jonah, read that sometime, he prays. I'm going to tell you something. I've been desperate, but I've never been that desperate. I've never had to sit inside the stench, inside the belly of a great fish, a whale, I've never had to do that. Incidentally, somebody said one time when I preached on Jonah, how did the great fish in the book of Jonah be a whale when you call it a whale? Well, Jesus called it a whale. Jesus said being in the belly in the King James Version of a whale. So when we say whale or great fish, it really doesn't matter. We're talking about something that's great in size that God prepared. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been that desperate? I haven't. He's inside the belly of that great fish, the Bible says, for three days and three nights. And the scripture says, in the second chapter, he prays to God. Look at his prayer. It reads more like a psalm. It reads more like a prayer of praise and honor. What an example for us. You see, in our life, sometimes our problems seem huge at first. God is bigger than any problem we've ever had. And once we get that right, once we give God the honor that He deserves, once we recognize in our minds that God is now greater than my problem, now it's time to start pouring our heart out to God, and He wants us to do that. And that's called, according to Paul, supplications. That's when we make our requests known unto God. It involves an earnest sharing of our problems and our needs. Freedom from anxiety does not come from half-hearted, insincere praying. And uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7 on the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of, before you ask him. Still though, we need to realize that our father wants us to be earnest. He wants us to be persistent in our asking. In Matthew chapter 7, in the same sermon now, and beginning in verse 7, Jesus says this. He said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if the son asks bread will he give him a stone? Or if he ask of a fish will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Somebody said one time that unclaimed promises are like uncashed checks. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. 
So if there is a blessing or if there's something that is to come my way that is contingent upon whether I ask God or not, then I need to come to God in prayerful adoration and respect and praise and honor and glory and all of that and then pour my heart out to him in supplications and ask him. You know, there was a number of times when Jesus dealt with persistence in prayer. Jesus gave a parable along that line, gave a couple parables along that line about persistence in prayer. He talks about the friend at midnight. He said, a man that's in bed one night at midnight, somebody knocks on his door and you as his friend knock on the door and you say, I've got a guest that's just now come my way. I need some food to feed my guest. What did he say? Jesus said that the man will not give it to you because you are just his friend, but because you are persistent and because of importunity, it says, he will give it to you. Teaching persistence in prayer. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, the idea of ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. It brings about the context of continuing to ask, continuing to seek, and continuing to knock. And if a man that is worldly, if a man that is evil, will still give good things to his own children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you those that ask him? The Bible says we must ask in faith, believing. But you know, we need to ask in faith, believing, according to His will. When you pray to God, you have to be satisfied with the answer. You have to be satisfied. We all have to be satisfied with whatever God's answer is. Now, if we are a faithful child of God and we ask God something and we pour our hearts out to God, He answers every one of those prayers. Sometimes we say, well, He didn't answer it. Yes, He did. He answered it, but maybe it was no. Maybe the answer was no. Maybe God knows best. Maybe it's not God's will. I don't know about all the providence of God. All I know is, is God's in control and we have to be, uh, subject ourselves to that control. And when we pour our hearts out to God and ask in faith believing, we have to do it according to His will and be satisfied with the answer. An example of this sort of praying is in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 about Jesus who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death and was heard in that He feared. Notice, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication. He did so with vehement cries, and he did so with tears, suggesting true earnestness in making his request. But notice what else. Paul said there's something else that has to accompany your prayer. Not only prayerful adoration, not only supplications, which is our needs, but we have to add along with those prayers our thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known unto God. Thanksgiving implies appreciation on our part. Certainly the father delights in hearing his children say thank you. You know, I have two kids. And they're absolutely everything to me. Greatest thing in the world to me is my two kids. i got a 13-year-old daughter. 
and I have a 10-year-old son. And I don't care what they ever give me for a present. I don't care whatever they do, whatever they buy me, whatever they save their money to give me. Those are all special things. But you know what the greatest things that they could ever do in my, in my mind, in my book, it's when they come up and throw their arms around my neck and say, Daddy, thank you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just a mortal man like you guys, too. I'm just a human being in the flesh. And if I need or if I appreciate my own children in the flesh thanking me, certainly our Creator, certainly God in heaven, certainly God that loved the world when we were miserable offenders that He sent His only begotten Son to die for the sins of the world, to die for you and to die for me, certainly He appreciates our thanksgiving to him. I was getting ready to go hold a meeting in Kentucky and uh, living in California. It was around Father's Day. And uh, my kids wanted to give me their my Father's Day gift before I left. And they got me an iPod. And uh, I love it. I listen to it on the, on the plane all the, uh, all the way here. But that's not what the best part was. The best part was what they wrote in the card. The best part was, thanks, Dad, for all that you do for us. My little boy said, thank you for being my best friend. I'm going to tell you something. I just sat there and cried. That's pretty neat stuff for me. That's pretty neat stuff. In fact, my wife was teasing me, Tina. She caught me three or four hours later. I'm reading it again. She said, you're reading it again, aren't you? Caught me reading it again. When my children say thank you. Yet so many people are like the nine lepers lepers healed by Jesus in Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And as they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The question is, are we eager to ask, but slow to appreciate? I realize sometimes we don't mean to do that. But we need to remember the things that God has answered and the prayers that God has answered on behalf of ones we've prayed for. And thank him in every prayer that we have an opportunity to do so. Now doing this serves to remind us something else. We thank God because God's worthy just like we praise him for the same reason. But think about this now. Our problem, and I'll sum up this point and move on. 
Our problem was this big. What did we do? We went to God in prayer. We bowed the knee before the great God of heaven. And we began not with supplications. We didn't begin with desperate pleas to God. We began to praise God. And we recognize that God's greater than every problem we've ever had. All of a sudden, our problem that was insurmountable is no longer as big as it once was because God is bigger than all the problems in all the world combined. Then we pour our hearts out to God in supplication. And along that line, we thank him because he's worthy of our thanks. First and foremost, secondary benefit. It serves as a reminder of all the things that God has done for us before. And in our mind, if it is his will, he will help us now. Secondary benefit. When we have anxiety how will this keep us from anxiety such prayer such praying paul said will result in a fortress guarding our minds and our hearts god may not always remove the problems that were the initial cause of our anxiety but he promises a peace which surpasses all understanding sometimes the answer is no but sometimes we need to pray not only for the for whatever's going through what we're going through in our life to be removed, but pray for strength to get through it. Because when we get over to the other side of that problem, we're going to be stronger and we're going to be better as a result. It's a peace that the world cannot provide. Notice with me, though, in this quiet confidence within, Paul gives us the the pattern. For really living the Christian life regarding, regardless of your circumstances. After he says that the, the right kind of praying is what you have to do. Then in verse number 8 he continues on. He doesn't just leave it right there. We have some things that we must do. Look in verse 8. Finally brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely... Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And that word think means to meditate. What's he saying? He says start off by praying right. Then you've got to change your thinking. You know, I can't come to you and say, you know what you have to do? You've got to stop thinking about that. You can't tell yourself, I've got to stop thinking about that. I've got to stop thinking about that. That doesn't work. Somebody illustrated it like this. If you're thinking about seven, the number seven, and, that, and number seven is in your mind, you can't stop thinking about seven by saying, I need to stop thinking about seven. You've got to start thinking about six. You have to think of something else. You have to replace whatever it was that you were thinking about. And Paul says, when you get the right mindset by the right kind of prayer, then think about these things, meditate on these things. It is a proven fact that you cannot do two diametrically opposite things at the same time. You can't do it. You have to stop doing one in order to do the other. So Paul says, change your thinking and think or meditate on these things. But that's still not enough. Look in verse 9. Those things which you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So what's he saying? Pray right, think right, and then go do 
that which is right. If there is ever in God's word a pattern for success in living the Christian life, it's found in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. Paul says, pray right. Paul says, think right. And Paul says, go do that which is right. Notice in verse 11, this is what Paul could say. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry and to, be, and to abound and to suffer need. Somebody might say, well, I just can't do that. I, I'm trying, but I just can't. It's beyond me. Yes, you can. If Paul could do it, anybody could because we don't have the problems that Paul had. Look in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I once heard someone being interviewed after a sporting event on TV. And they said, you know, you, you, won, you won the Super Bowl. He says, yeah, you know why? He says, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, God doesn't care about football games. God doesn't care about that. He didn't care about athletic events. That's not what Paul was talking about. What Paul is talking about was what the context of this letter is talking about. I can do the things that I have just told you about and I can learn to be content because I've been given all the strength that I, that I have through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. Yes, we can. Anxiety in our life, I know that's a normal thing. Pray right. Then think right. And then go do that which is right. And learn to be content, be satisfied with the answer. And we'll live our life, our Christian life, day by day better and stronger than we've ever been in times past. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.